I'm Jared. And I'm Todd the Journeyed. And welcome to A Cup of Tea. Everyone's intelligence has been shaped by distinct personal experiences. If you're curious to shed light on both humanity's collective and intimate truths, then take a seat with an open mind and a full cup as we examine reality through the blurry lens of our own individual perspectives. Have a sip while we talk about universal entitlements. What does it mean to be human? And what does it mean to have things that you're entitled to just for existing as a living organism? Those are some of the questions that we can ponder in today's episode. Not necessarily what it means to exist, but what does it mean to have things being a person, being a human being, being a creature? What are things that living things should be entitled to? Like you and me, Tall. Welcome back to the pod. How are you doing? As always, it's a pleasure to be here. Um, and that is a deep question right off the intro, to say the least. <laughs> I'm trying to set the tone for the episode, Tall, because this is just a very, very deep topic that I want to get into today. And I mean, what what are your initial impressions here? Like, to you, just before we get into all the data and the, the science part of it, when you think of what it means to be human and to exist, how do you feel about these things that are basic needs that humans have that maybe other animals share with us, like shelter, food, water, all these other things? Like, to what degree do you think that, you know, that is something that someone should be entitled to versus having to earn or work for? I think the answer has changed. Um, I think the answer has changed with how humans have developed. Um, we are not fundamentally in the same spot technologically, um, health, culturally, or anything like this. We were in the Paleolithic mm-hmm. era, right? But ultimately, humans still have the same basic needs as then, right? Um, however, as society has gone through these different evolutions, ebbs and flows, and downturns and de-evolutions, right? The material wealth and the material ability for people to um, make, make those needs have been in vastly different conditions. Um, And I think that you can't remove one without the other. I think that ultimately the biggest thing that we can do for that equity element of um, making sure people have those basic needs and what it is or whatever that whatever that thing is and that entitlement is for being human. um, It really depends on the constants and conditions of the system that it's within, Um, because what is going to give me the same equity and the same access that I deserve for my basic needs right now is vastly different than if I was living in 1300. Right. Exactly. So and I think that's a hard thing to uh, rationalize between the two of them. Right. Um, Where Mm -hmm. because you're trying to quantify something that objectively, like you said, has hard data behind it. Like we need food, we need water, we need shelter, we need safety and all these things. But we have different ways of getting access and relationships with them depending on the world around us. And then not only that, you're trying to quantify things that are harder to quantify as well, because what is every human entitled to respect on a basic human level? You're entitled to respect. What does that look like? It is very different depending on culture and um, time and all these different things. So it's very, very difficult to actually quantify what that is. So I'm very, very interested in seeing where you're going to bring this conversation. And (laughs) as we try to figure out, actually, at least what what is a human entitled to? Yeah, uh, absolutely. And in seeps, I challenge you also to think of an answer here. And if, if it's something that we didn't bring up throughout the duration of this podcast here, please let us know at ACOT Podcast on Twitter. 
Or you can go over and check out Tall's podcast, oh. The Descent into Illumination, and let him know as well. Thank you kindly. You're always welcome to find me on any of the weird stuff. <laughs> you know, Tall, this is actually an episode that's part of your overall series, The Setback, that we're continuing mm-hmm. here. And it's just how I view it is, are we being fed the way that we should be fed in society? That's how I look at it from an economic Ooh, standpoint, from a sociological standpoint, from an environmental standpoint. I think that this is a good piggyback off of the episode that we did on your podcast for that very reason. You know, we, we talked about a lot of the different aspects, like how we're not doing as well off as maybe previous generations. We don't have the same opportunities. Mm-hmm. And we see parallels with that in the modern world today with sustainability. We're going in the wrong direction, mm-hmm. right? And that, I feel like this is a very difficult question to answer. Again, Steeps, I challenge you to provide your answer because your perspective is valuable, as mm-hmm. is the nature of this podcast. But how I look at it is the answer lies somewhere in the principles of sustainability. And you know, Tall, that there are three core principles of sustainability, which I just alluded to. There's the environmental aspect which everybody understands there's the economic one and then there's the sociological one Mm -hmm. like these are the pillars that make up sustainability like like when we're saying we're being sustainable as a society we're not just saying that we're you know taking things and and making them better on the environment we're minimizing our impact on the environment we're also caring for our overall society in a way that benefits human beings and the systems that surround them. And I, just to build off your point, I think is, you know, we literally took sustainability classes together, right? So, um, yes, we did. <laughs> as you, as we, as going back in our conversations through the days, like one of my favorite elements of sustainability is the three E's, right? And my favorite, uh, and the one that always gets over everyone thinks environmental and economy, they get that, but there's equity. Equity is the other E right there. And that's my, my, the one I really, spend a lot of time thinking about at least, right? What does um, long-term yeah. equity look like within sustainability and making sure we have, you know, healthy long-term developments as a human species, right? Um, and I think that's why um, I'm really, you know, excited to take this next um, step on the Step Back series that we're doing here and really figure out and uh, ask that question, well, what are we entitled to? What do we deserve? What does it look like currently right now? Um, because like that equity, there is no sustainability without equity. You can't, you have eco-fascism then. Um, that is not a sustainable future. That is a very, 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 very dark future, actually. Um, right. Whether it's climate mal or ecofascism or stuff like that, like there are there are sustainable futures without that equity element, and they're not good futures, right? Um, and right. so it's really important to be asking ourselves these questions of like, what do we deserve? How do we know that we deserve better? Yeah. What does that look like? And and stuff like the, these things like that. And how do we be loud? And how do we stand up for ourselves to actually be like, no, I deserve this as a freaking human. Right now, I don't care mm-hmm. who you are. I don't care the color of your skin, what's in your pants or anything like that. You're a human and you deserve this right at, at a bare minimum. You deserve so much more than this uh, in real reality. But as a bare bones, whatever, like you can you're entitled to this, like, you know, you're saying those entitlement arguments. So um, it's a really, really important conversation for us to be having because that is really like how that's how we want to build our next system. Right. When we're trying to make yep. a better world for the next generation, right? It's asking those questions of like, what do they deserve? How do we make sure that they get what they deserve and they're, and they're entitled to on a basic fundamental human level so that maybe we can actually have a, a generation of post-scarcity or a generation that's actually freaking dealing with generational trauma and actually happy, right? You know, God forbid. 
What I actually think back to is the Native American adage of looking ahead seven generations and what impact is that going to have on your society or your system. So that's always an interesting thought experiment yeah. to think about because I don't think we think that way at all currently. Like we, as we alluded to on the setback, previous generations self-served. They helped themselves to extra helpings at the dinner table and they left scraps for us later on. And we see the same thing in sustainability with those other pillars, of course. So during the setback, we focused a lot on the economic aspect, but we are really focusing on equity and the sociological aspect, which I feel like is just equally important and sometimes overlooked here. And what does it mean to be entitled to things as a human being? And, and what are the pros and cons of that? I think you got to look at it from both ways, both lenses. Like what level of control do you have over these resources? How much do you give individuals for their basic needs? And what is the price that either side is willing to pay, either the provider or the recipient of those services or those goods? So to lead off here, how are we really doing, Tall? And to answer this question, I'm actually looking at a source that is on the World Bank called GDP Growth Annual Percentage. And this is actually a graph that's showing the change in GDP over time. And it kind of seesaws up and down, and it kind of gradually comes down over time. Obviously, there's a huge dip around the Great Recession right before 2010. Then it rebounded quite significantly, and it kind of hovered around like 3% for quite some time. And then the pandemic hits and whoosh, just completely plummets, right? And then we've had a huge rebound since then, because of course, there were stimulation checks that went out and things that kind of re-energized the economy and factories reopened and business was being done again. And we were more productive than ever. And actually this graph is demonstrating that as of 2021, GDP growth across the entire world was at 5.9%, which tall, we haven't seen a clip that high since 1973. So on the surface, when you look at an indicator like GDP, gross domestic product, you think we're doing pretty good, right? Well, there's a few flaws with that argument. One, GDP growth is not uniform across the globe. Like every country has different levels, higher or lower. This is the world average. There's a lot of really successful booming countries like the United States, China, you name it, you know, what's considered first world countries, quote unquote. And those are the ones carrying the weight in our modern economy because they're the ones, you know, selling the highest price services, highest price goods or, or the highest volume of goods. But you have nations that are developing, quote unquote, and they're struggling, right? Like they're they're not seeing the same GDP growth that some other countries are. So there's a lot of nuance to consider here. So that's one. And two, GDP, honestly, steeps is a horrible indicator for like evaluating the human experience, the human condition and, and how we are doing as a populace. It doesn't take into account any physiological needs. It doesn't take into account mental health or overall health and well-being. These are facets that are just not captured in GDP. GDP is only measuring the value of the goods and services that are being provided in an economy. So it also doesn't have that also could be done. Like in theory, all this goods and services could be feeding one person 
and they could still have that GDP. It doesn't actually measure the individual social equity and the individual wealth of the recipients within those host nations. There is some more individual metrics you can dive deeper into that can try to answer those questions, but it is not it is not used. GDP is just like you said, it's a production metric. It is the yeah. it is the what is the value of the overall in this case countries literal production value like what is the value essentially of the workers right 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 yeah in just about every year GDP growth has been positive except for the Great Recession in the COVID nineteen pandemic those are the only two instances in modern history in the last like fifty plus years where we've seen a negative GDP growth across the world so again GDP continues to grow because we continue to consume more resources. We continue to make more goods, provide more services, continue more to grow our economies. Yeah, yeah, more efficient as technology develops and everything like that. But just because we may be trending upwards as a global society in terms of our productivity, that doesn't necessarily imply that we're fulfilling our needs better, right? No, we're not. I mean, like you said, like it's not used to, me first of all, it's not used to measure human happiness. No. Um, that should be, if we're talking about like actual equity and like making your needs, that's the trying to quantify what human happiness is, would be the, it is a metric you should be trying to look for, not what you can produce. Right. Um, you're, it's, it, it's getting back to the transactional reality of the system we live in. That is the only thing that realistically matters in this on the, as, uh, not even on a U.S. scale, but as we've continued to globalize the economy in this way, it has become more and more transactional. And it is more and more putting, like you said, like what your 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 value as a nation, as an economic unit is what you are producing. And that is what GDP is again measuring here is what we have decided of value as production. Um, and so, what, like I said, I think another way to frame what we're looking at GDP is what is because of the whatever policy and because of the economic conditions in that country, what is literally the, what are the workers they're producing? What is it? What, how, how, what is that access? And that can be a very interesting picture. It can point to greater social access and equity and things like that and different resources and distribution and everything like that. But it's just not measuring what you think it's measuring when it's being talked about in the news. You know, so um, I think that that's that, that's just such an important thing to realize, right? Right, absolutely. And you know what? I actually have like a way that I can think about GDP across the globe. Like I, how I just mentioned how almost every country has a positive GDP growth to a varying degree. I think it's because, as you alluded to, every economy has its purpose. Every economy has something that they are expected to provide, right? And you could break it down like this. Some countries, which are developing nations, they are providing raw materials, resources. Then there are some more developed nations, which are manufacturing nations. These are the ones that take those raw goods and they convert them into some products. And then you have other countries whose primary output is consuming and putting that money back out in the economy in exchange for those goods and services. So you can think of it like Indonesia is a country that is really heavy in producing and exporting these raw materials and resources. China and India are big nations where they are manufacturing goods. And then the United States and Western Europe and you know countries like that that are well established and developed, they are the biggest consumers of these products and, and services and things like that. So it seems like every country has a niche every country has a purpose that they're fulfilling through their gdp metric that's the value that they're adding to society but again it's only measuring 
goods and services, not measuring how the well-being of these people are actually holding up, how people feel in the countries that they live in. Are they are their needs being met? Are their economies affordable? Are they experiencing rampant inflation? Are they being denied access to opportunities that they should be provided? These are just all questions that aren't addressed by GDP whatsoever. I really thought that it was really interesting that it's like how they have like all these different countries are putting value into our system in these different ways. And I think that's a really good way to look at it. And it's because of like, and that's a really good way to look at globalization and how it can be a trend for a positive or a negative force. And it can lead to this mm -hmm. like insane um, specialization that wrecks locals economies or um, resources or whatever like that. Or it can be right. used in this ways that actually finds holistic balance and things like that. Like thought experiment moment right here. But like we have mm -hmm. like hydrothermal electricity that's produced on like a global scale, like up in like the northern Arctic region, you know, in like Iceland and stuff like that. And then the Baltic areas where there's a lot of geothermal activity. Right. And then like once we have better battery technology that could be or storage technology that could be sent down into other places like where there isn't those things like that. Like you can use Absolutely. that very, 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 very specific thing to like really utilize and benefit and be holistic on a global scale. We just see it in a way that's done in a way that's done. To to send sweatshops and manual labor and other things overseas and to do these things that is increasing production You're, these countries are in a lot of ways producing production but it's coming at a lot of very unhealthy costs um to Absolutely. what i would be saying is you know our basic needs and what we're entitled to right so right um it's it's very interesting like i'm a big believer of globalism right i think ultimately we need to right i just don't like how it's being done in a lot of different ways because of the individual economization and how we're just basically shifting slave flavor and literally slave flavor to the global south quote unquote right and to these quote unquote developing countries right so um yeah. what are your thoughts with that well, I actually tie it back to something you said earlier, which is efficiency and globalization drives efficiency. Yeah. I have always been a fan of globalization, especially thinking back to my business classes in college. Globalization does have a lot of benefits because these countries that live in their niche, they, they, they don't just live within their niche, they survive within their niche. Like these natural goods and resources or these innate capabilities within their workforces are very valuable, extremely valuable. And they milk them to the fullest advantage that they can provide. Um, they, they really reap the benefits. And in a way, it really is adding more value to the economy. Because think about it, it on a micro scale. Think about back to when we did the episode on smart grid resilience and the Texas blackout. Had Texas been connected to the greater grid in the United States, you like minimize the chance that you have these widespread long blackouts because energy can be fed to places where it's needed from places where it's not needed. However, the flip side, like what you mentioned, is that there is a lot of economic opportunism happening because of globalization. And like you said, slave labor, essentially. Yeah. And it's unfortunate that rather than just looking at it from the big picture and saying, hey, we can uplift these developing countries, Everybody can have more equitable opportunities while recognizing that each individual nation is going to have its thing. What, what you see all too often is exploitation by larger companies that realize that instead of paying someone stateside $8 an hour to process these goods, we're just going to 
pay someone 20 cents an hour to yeah. do it somewhere else. Well, and that's really what's been a driver of the modern, you know, we would like to, to say the Neolithic uh, or the, the neocon uh, slave industry nowadays, right? And the actual slave trade that's going on in a lot of countries still to this day is it's no longer it, it's uh, we're still dealing with the, obviously the issues of post-colonialism, but now we are dealing with modern day colonialism through corporations. Right. It's just yep. not, it's just it's it, that's that's the mm -hmm. issue. Right. We've we've gone to this like, yeah, this uh, yeah kind of style of, uh, of governance in a lot of these countries where it is literally, you know, um, you see all these other um, uh, more developed uh, as you would, as we would economically describe more developed countries and these mega corporations coming in there and just owning them like truly just like owning, like buying up the land and like owning all the natural resources in these countries and like creating like. Um, mining towns basically to, ex, that mm -hmm. are just under you just see horrific conditions yeah. and just continuous things so yeah it is literally just the that um the use of but there's still production there's still yeah. that's creating this generating that's production baby right there that's, that's an economic <laughs> value and here's the thing what a lot of these companies are coming into these countries who are known for their raw materials, what they're doing is they're giving them a raw deal. No pun intended. Well, I mean, right? we're seeing like we're seeing what's happening in the Congo. Like we've seen th this place that has this insane, insane repository of just natural wealth just being gutted mm -hmm. and we've just seen that continuously happen to a lot of these um you know sub-saharan african countries for instance this is a great example because they were africa is so rich in just that min like literal mineral wealth right you know and just like all these other things that you see that the these other nations come in um whether it be eastern or western powers um come mm -hmm. in and just like strip mine and just take away the passports of people of you know and just reckoning and you know but it's still generating economic wealth so those actions are still according to the gdp valuable but i think when you look at it right it's it the the, the problem is that these negotiations are inherently inequitable because what someone in the Congo is going to accept in exchange for these resources is significantly undervalued when compared to what we would pay for the same raw materials. Like we get these goods for pennies on the dollar so we can, you know, make our expensive, you know, multi-thousand dollar diamond rings. Well, the issue is because a lot of these countries were put in power and are propped up at the point of a gun. You know, whether that's been through military, oh, you know, the CIA has put its dick in so many different things. But then at the same time, you know, we have all these independent nations that have gone through their own independent revolutions. And then we have what we have the ramifications of colonialism going on from China and Russia as well, too. And these other giant economic powers still to this day. Right. Um, yeah. So a lot of those places are, you know, where it's it's being propped up by whatever regime through very violent activities. Right. And that's what makes it very difficult to how do you go in there and like actually you because they're you know, what they're entitled to is a lot better than what they're getting, right? And we're right, and we're right. and what we're entitled to is you know I'm, I'm entitled to using resources that aren't uh, forged off of the blood of innocent people, right? I, I you know and yeah. unfortunately in our current system that's really hard to actually do. Like how do I eat chocolate <laughs> without like it? You know seriously, right? Those are they're hard questions yeah. to ask. They're, how do you have ethical yeah. consumption within capitalism, right? Um, those yeah. are legitimate questions. There is no such thing as exponential growth. That doesn't exist. And but our models are supporting it like it does, right? Exactly. Um, There's only a finite number of resources, but yet GDP continues to grow every year. Some countries have an unhinged growth rate of consuming resources. And meanwhile, other countries are being left with the scraps. And that's a huge problem. And I think that's what I really want to get into with today's episode. I'm actually going to switch gears here and mm -hmm. we're going to start to go into the science here. I want to look at 
just reflect real quickly before I get my first source, Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. This is a psychological concept that you have this pyramid and at each stage it's a higher level quote unquote need that a human being would require but at the very base what you have is physiological needs this includes air water food shelter sleep clothing reproduction these are the needs that if you stripped away all the things that we've added on top of society all the meaning all the institutions and the systems this is what humans would need to survive then on top of that you build safety needs things like personal security employment resources health property these are luxuries that maybe we started to develop more in the agricultural era you know tens and thousands of years ago then on top of that you build love and belonging these are higher level thinking concepts right like relationships that you have with others like once you're comfortable and and you have that safety and those physiological needs met on top of that esteem which is more focused on yourself and how you are feeling in terms of respect, self-esteem, status, recognition, strength, and freedom. Ultimately, that all leads to self-actualization, the desire to become the most that one can be. But again, what I think is interesting about this pyramid is that you have these things that a lot of human beings consider really important, those concepts of love and belonging, like everybody wants to be loved, esteem, everybody wants and craves respect and self-actualization. Everybody wants to be the best that they could be, the best version of themselves. Like you see that all over the internet and across the world, whether it may be interpreted differently depending on the culture you're in. But I think ultimately what matters here is that at the very base level, you need to have your physiological and safety needs met first and more important those physiological ones like you literally can't survive if you don't have these things humans can only go so long without consuming water or food or having a safe place to stay air to breathe and, and all that stuff so if someone didn't get sleep for a long enough period of time they would not survive so the, the interesting thing with this episode is that when you consider those base level needs and you compare that to what we are providing for our fellow humans in the year 2023 the year of our lord like how far have we really come as a society when we have so many gaps which we could still identify today with all the technology and advancements and globalization that we've seen like rapidly building in momentum over the past many decades past several decades and we're still here what do you make of that tall? It's really interesting, like you said, for when you talk about at least with Maslow's, it starts with that basic survival, right? And I really think that's kind of it ties into what we're talking about with how like it's changed over the course of human history. Um, depending on how humans have different um, causes and conditions and different societies and different networks around the world, right? So like, you know, a million, you know, when humans first popped up on the scene, you know, our basic survival was pretty much just that original need of literally just like when, uh, pre hunter gatherer society when we're still just truly in the wilds, right? And it was just surviving day to day, right? And that's where you're making those needs. And pretty much all of your equity can be based around just trying to get to the next day, right? 
But as we continue to advance and we continue to master the energies around the world around us and we continue to develop our technology and our tool use and integrate in these systems, we fundamentally started changing the world and we started changing the causes and conditions we had around that, which fundamentally changes our relationship with things, which changes what we're entitled to now. That's why, you know, everyone, I, I firmly believe everyone's entitled to a home nowadays. Their homelessness is such a, is, is not the same issue, as, but, you know, go back to when humans first popped on the scene. Everyone, their home was a much different kind of space. That safe space was very different looking and what we would not consider a home nowadays. Shared quarters, right? Like a lot of people yeah, in ancient times, they lived with other people that were outside their family. You don't really hear that nowadays. Like in a, in a cave together, yeah. right? You know, there's, there's plenty of evidence of literally just putting up a rock in a cave to survive. It's one of the most basic things. Now the closest you can live with somebody else with it not being weird is within the same building, but separate units, like in an apartment yeah. or a condominium, right? Correct, yeah, and like that individual space, and it, is, can, and it could be even more broken up with roommates, and it could be even more combined, you know, there's a whole bunch of different ways of doing it, right? Um, but like that, like, so like those, that shows an exhibit, a good example of like how that need and that equity and that entitlement has changed over the course of human evolution, right? I think that, you know, ultimately it should, all every, all the society and the system we build should be always with the goal of supporting that fundamental, the highest of needs, right? Um, and of supporting a system where it can bring that entitlement forward, right? That we are entitled to having that ultimate expression of self-actualization and fulfillment, right? Because ultimately, that's what it takes to be a quote-unquote complete human being. Right. Now, that can be achieved in a whole lot of different means. And I'm not here to talk about everyone's individual spiritual journey or anything like that, mm -hmm. right? But like ultimately, that's what I believe the system should support, and that should it should be form equitable for is like the ultimately like that we are humans and that we are these things that have these integrated relationships with the natural world around us. That we are these things that create and think in ways that are at least we haven't experienced in any other life form on Earth or in the natural or in the known universe, right? So there is something a little unique about that to our knowledge so forth. So we should support that, right? And that and that's what we should ultimately like uh, the what society should be for right is to ultimately make things better for everyone to the point where we can have that like fundamental like no we can just live and we can have this holistic relationships i think that though realistically it's it starts with just taking it one step at a time it's like okay what do we need to survive okay now we know we need now what we need to make an equitable society to have be connective to each other and love each other and all those things and keep moving forward right yeah and how i look at this is physiological needs are literally quite literally inherent to our human existence. They are inherent to our being. And in the sense that like the human body will indicate when it's hungry, when it needs sleep, when it needs to consume water, like you get thirsty, you get hungry, you'll get tired. H humans experience these things naturally. Like you don't just think about them, right? But if you don't have your basic physiological needs met, like very primitive people will not even think often about these higher level needs unless those more basal needs are fulfilled and that's where some inequity comes into play across our society nowadays is because some people are struggling so hard in poverty and impoverished conditions to make ends meet to just get to just obtain these basic necessities that they're not focused on self-actualization they haven't got there yet they're not focused on love. They, they just want to drink clean water. They just want to eat. They just mm -hmm. want to survive. They just want to deal with like, you know, whatever just the the system we've created has now created new hardships too. 
And like, that's the thing is like, it's it, that, that attacks those basic needs, whether it be through mental health or literally, like you said, access to clean water in like Flint, Michigan or something like that. Right. Yeah. Um, or this giant garbage pile in the Pacific ocean. Right. And stuff yeah. like that. So I always, you know, like love the experiments where people go out in the wild and try to survive like a primitive human being and just seeing how the switch flips and how people think differently in that environment. It does show you that it's the conditions and the environment surrounding you that matter. When you have all this technology, you have these shelters, you have these resources, you think differently because those needs have reliably been fulfilled. Yeah, no, that's really like, it's just like you said, things change, the causes and conditions change. And like, it makes it really hard underneath the current systems right now, because like you said, it changes like, in order to be a healthy functioning member in the system that we've created, I have to sacrifice some of my fundamental needs. Like it's been to, you know, with whether it be with my relationship with work and everything like that. So when we're starting into the self-actualization, love and happiness and everything like that, this is like the world that we exist in fundamentally takes that away. And it's very hard for me to, and a lot of people around me and yourself and um, our generation as we see like this disconnection that, you know, that we all talk about. Right. It's yeah. hard to find this intersocial connectivity that you talk about on that second level of needs and within Maslow's hierarchy. Um, love and connection and everything like that. It's just hard to like hang out with your friends nowadays because yeah. like, we all have to like produce, right? Mm -hmm. It's truly, we have to work. We have to make enough money to get by, pay our bills and be economic agent in these things. And that ultimately doesn't serve my needs. That actually really hurts me in a lot of different ways, right? But it's things I need to do to for my other basic needs to making sure I have a meal to eat and I have, you know, all these things like that. So it comes out of self-sacrificing relationship. Right, exactly. We're we're part of the GDP, right? <laughs> I think there's no other way to put it. But as we transition to the next stage of this episode, let me go into some more of that science again. So we, we did go and review Maslow's hierarchy of needs and how it applies to this episode. But now I want to look at a really interesting, incredible source from the United Nations. It is their Sustainable Development Goals report from last year, 2022. And I just wanted to highlight some of the areas where our global society is experiencing significant gaps in today's world. Food, which can be found on page 11. About 1 in 10 people worldwide are suffering from hunger. Nearly 1 in 3 people lack regular access to adequate food. Education, on page 13. From 2019 to 2020, 25% lacked electricity, drinking water, and basic sanitation water from page 15 at current rates by 2030 1.6 billion people will lack safely managed drinking water 2.8 billion people will lack safely managed sanitation 1.9 billion people will lack basic hand hygiene facilities now mind you the world population is above what 8 billion now so that's a significant chunk of people right there Air and shelter, on page 20, 99% of the world's urban population breathe polluted air, 99%. This is above the accepted threshold of 5 micrograms per cubic meter of annual average PM 2.5 concentration. Wow, that's, that's almost unbelievable. Like, just because of urbanization itself and of all the greenhouse gases we're emitting, like, almost nobody's breathing truly clean air. 1 billion slum dwellers exist, which is all obviously sad as well because it just demonstrates how... It's an eighth of the population. Yeah, 
of the yeah, world. Yeah, not, not everybody has reliable shelter that provides them all of their needs. Like, um, some people live in makeshift towns. A lot, a lot of people, an eighth of people, live in these makeshift towns and societies because they were apparently cast off and, and not uh, given the same opportunities that you and me have been provided. And then well-being. No. On page 27, global prevalence of anxiety and depression increased by 25% in 2020, particularly among young people and women. That's not surprising because of the pandemic, but also because of the roles and expectations being placed on our generation. And we alluded that during our last episode on the Step Back series as well. Oh, I would ask, I would challenge you and say that, like, do we, do any of us have, you know, have real access to clean water at this point with now the reports that micro plastics have been like, we, right. are in everything now? Like there is like we've fundamentally like changed like the systems of the world in a way that we're actually questions of that we're bringing into questions of that, especially with like what we're bringing with human caused climate change and or at least the human advancement of climate change, I should say, and the yeah. loss of deforestation and um, 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 uh, wildlife diversity and right uh, biodiversity. Sorry. Um, these things, these are like social equitable questions are fundamentally changing the system as we've entered a new age of extinction that are like. does anyone have that with how we're changing things now like that's a good question i don't know jared i really don't know um you know because i i have a home Mm -hmm. i haven't missed a meal in uh quite some time except but like i've had some serious mental health struggles i've talked about on my podcast you know when it comes to different um you know body relationships and different you know relationships with depression and stuff like that as well and addiction and things like that um, so I very much understand how a lot of my mental health stuff I've had to work to you know, find that greater equity and that, you know, and everything like that. And that's not coming from any place of entitlements, you know, everything like that. That's coming from a lot of hard work and, you know, coming from being homeless and stuff like that. And, and seeing how I wasn't supported by these different systems and stuff like that. Yeah. So I could, I do come from a place that I do come from a place of, you know, where I do hold some resentments on the overall equity of the world that we have built. Um, I think that we do deserve better because um, I, as someone who's been able to encounter a lot of the world's privileges, too. I haven't been to I, I've never been enforced to work in a, a mine in sub Sahara Africa where my passport was being held away from me and me trying to just send money to my family working in unhing conditions. I've never had to suffer like that. Um, and I don't want to have to rely on technology that where people do suffer from that, right? Um, it's this this marketable thing where mm-hmm. it's like I don't know Jared where like how we define where is that social equity across on a global thing because like you said according to the UN's own numbers an eighth of the population lives in slum conditions. Yeah, that's where you're not getting your basic needs met in your home, your shelter, your food, or any of those things like that. Yeah, you know this not taking taking into account displaced population populations because of war or refugees because of climate the new actual climate change refugees that are happening now, right? Yeah, um, or homeless populations within the U.S. We have more homeless than we have home than, than we we have more um, empty homes than we have homeless in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Like these basic equity that's questions true. that are just like, why do we have a system that's like this? Yeah, so like I don't. I just I just don't know how to answer your question on that, because, like, you see these fundamental realities and these dichotomies where it's just people are hurting and they deserve better and they, their needs aren't being met. You know, mm-hmm. so fundamentally, I think they're entitled to something better because we right. have the ability to produce something better. Right. And I think these statistics, to me, at least indicate that a change is in order is some overhaul of the system to help make things more equitable. Because, again, going back to those sustainable pillars, environmental, economic equity like we're not fulfilling the equity part of it right i mean when you have a third of people that lack regular access to food and you have a quarter of people who lack access to electricity clean drinking water 
and are experiencing some form of depression. And you have virtually everybody who does not have access to breathe clean air, which is a very basic thing to survive as a human being. And then to your point, it is more of the population not even drinking clean water. And again, I think a lot of these statistics even are qualitative. They're subjective. Like we have instituted these metrics of what we believe to be clean drinking water and clean air and all these things and, and what what That's is good, good well-being but it's hard to quantify these things like what we would consider clean like i would consider clean is might be a uh, miles above and beyond in standard to what people quantify as clean in some of these developing areas and these places with low social equity mm -hmm. right? right clean in that could say could just be not actively um giving you giardia or giving you parasites right <laughs> you know, and just and enough to be able to like healthily like drink and everything like that, whereas that which is something that I would never consider drinking in my home here, right? Mm -hmm. That's a this as you, you touched on such an important thing of that quantifiability of like, what is like that, that metric? Yeah, and it's it honestly steeps, it is impossible to quantify in one standard way. I think we can standardize, sure. But because of cultural differences, geographical differences, physiological differences, every human being is different has different needs standardizing can sometimes create more problems because we're holding everyone to one standard and not everyone agrees with that standard it's an individualistic thing yeah it's a post-truth reality but yeah. at the same time you can go into that and you can understand that everything exists within its own causes and conditions and its own cultural um, flavor text and that own background right and you can still go in with the with like okay these are like these overall goals and ideas and visions and how do we make this a more equitable thing and have these in um, sustainability corridors for 30 plus years where it's low impact um agriculture or human activities in these vast things that have sustainable relationships so it's not just cut and burn slash and burn farming or stuff like mm -hmm. that that have these development there are ways to develop these things that are you know like are like okay what is clean literally clean clean drinking water might mean something a little bit different in these different cultures right. but like we can understand that people shouldn't be getting sick off of it and like you know and everything like that so how do we work within these right. frameworks to develop those natural relationships mm -hmm. right you don't have to have a standard practice and standard of best procedures you can have literally just like a guidebook and a guidelines just like honestly most corporations do that's why most corporations they have their yeah, best standards practices and their policy documents but they're also legal legalese worded that you can get away with doing anything so each individual franchise does its own whatever anyway right yeah. but it's still within that same model right so you can it, it's not it's not even a fork e economic business concept right yeah. it's something that's it's a it's a very natural thought of it's just it's just choosing consciously choosing to develop in those ways right and maybe the best way to quantify this seemingly unquantifiable dilemma is by looking at the most conservative estimates of clean drinking water of clean air and, yeah. and setting standards that way so you're setting a basic benchmark like it's a huge can of worms it's really difficult to evaluate what do humans really need to exist but that's the whole question we're posing today it's what i got my master's for right literally it's policy evaluation yeah, yeah it's that it's policy evaluation is what we're asking here is how do we make these things more equitable how do we make these systems and things better all it is is it, we, you don't have to reinvent the wheel we've reinvented the wheel so many different times and we have so many different like tools and mechanisms we have ways to develop these things better let's use the tools that we have to make things better and how what i hate about our current society tall is i feel like all too often rather than looking at this from the lens of what are universal entitlements that humans should receive for just simply existing 
being given adequate shelter, access to clean drinking water, clean air, education. All too often, it feels like a survival of the fittest type of deal, where big corporations and more quote-unquote economically developed countries, which, by the way, side note, when we say third world countries and developed nations, we're really just looking at it from that economic dimension. We're not looking at it from an, the environmental or, or equity lenses. But I mean, that, that's how I, I view it. Like these larger corporations in developed countries, quote unquote, are reaping the benefits and leaving scraps for the rest of everyone else to, to try and fight over. And it's simply not fair because it's it's kind of like that old colonial mentality where it's like, hey, I call dibs on this first, so I get most of this. It's like the Colorado River problem here local to us here in the great state of Arizona. So many states border the Colorado River and rely on it for a good proportion of their own clean drinking water. And what happens all too often is states farther upstream like honestly don't care about the ones further downstream and they have these policies put into place that aren't thinking ahead they're not only are they not thinking about what the colorado is going to look like one two three four five years from now or beyond maybe a few generations from now but it's not considering thy neighbor other states downstream it's the same analogy in our global society you know the united states is colorado right and arizona and california are like these you know nations like the congo in in less developed nations that it's like hey we're starving down here we're thirsty give us some water you know we'll, we'll evaluate our policy and see what we could do here but we've got these other companies coming in and taking the water and these other states or countries that are taking it and it's just that's how i feel we're currently evaluating things as that it's like whoever has the most authority to do something whoever has the most capability but not everyone's starting on an equal playing field right like countries like depending on where you're born what corporation you work for or even like just where you live geographically like you're already predisposed to have access to things or not have access to things and it's just so unfortunate that even just being a human being to a human being two people otherwise equitable could lead completely different lives just based on their initial starting conditions and that all goes back to the same thing like we don't have an equitable society because it is kind of like that survival of the fittest like you get what you have and whether that means that other people already took it from you or not like you kind of have to work with what you get and we're not evaluating that and seeing how we can make things more equitable so people have more fair chances to get on the same playing field they really think that it's like you said like it's it's because it really is just luck of the draw where you're born yeah absolutely just good luck yeah you know and it's and how you're developed in those relationships and you know, yeah no good luck yeah, yeah exactly and speaking of that i have an extremely relevant study that i wanted to plug in here as well from the global environmental change journal this study is titled nature dependent people mapping human direct use of nature for basic needs across the tropics and you know the tropics is actually an extremely productive area in terms of raw materials resources and just overall environmental productivity you know a lot of times we're looking at gdp the economic indicator but the tropics are thriving with biodiversity and all these 
raw materials and resources, it, it's teeming with life to the point where people who often live in the tropics actually sometimes can have an easier time relying on nature for basic needs rather than imported goods and all that. So some things I want to highlight from this study are due to the lack of alternatives, many developing nations, again, quote unquote, depend on nature as a primary source for food, clean water and energy. This is a trend especially prevalent in the tropics where there is an abundance of biodiversity and natural resources to extract. This study surveyed 5 million households in 85 tropical countries. It focused on tropical countries as these populations are highly dependent on nature for their basic needs. These regions also are the most sensitive to environmental changes and climate change. And I, I, I don't think that's a conundrum in any way. I think that definitely makes a lot of sense considering the balance to maintain such a highly biodiverse region in such a productive region environmentally it's a very steady balance like the the system can go into complete shock with even the slightest changes like deforestation well we drought. don't know what's going to cause that destabilization it, exactly it could be any lynchpin it, it could be just clearing a small patch of forest for one town like you could clear 40 percent of a forest nothing happens you clear one more acre and all of a sudden the whole ecosystem falls apart you eliminate yep. one species the whole system falls apart right and that's why you know a lot of people are like oh well, who cares about these you know species that are vulnerable to extinction it's like a lot of people do and it's for this very reason because there are people out there in the world that depend on these highly environmentally productive regions to survive right it's where region it's where life is supposed to thrive like that's the natural balance of this is the natural systems we have exactly. like that's in the tropic zones that's where like the, all this resource is generated and everything like that so it makes sense that there's a, a, a higher threshold there right mm -hmm. because like it's a more ingrained system where there's like this flush of these things so you, you go on there and you attack that and you destabilize that it has long-term ramifications yeah that's where we came from right long ago yeah not you and me but <laughs> the humans species. humans humans yeah we i mean the mammalians we came originally from uh with the, oh, what an interesting history mammalians have had exactly getting back to the study publicly available data sets were utilized in the study like us aid's demographic health survey dhs unicef's multiple indicator cluster surveys mics and national statistics offices household surveys or census nhs when competing sources of information were provided amongst the different studies, there was a preference for the data set which was the most complete, most recent, or most representative at the subnational level. Standardized questions on overall well-being and the usage of nature to meet basic human needs were leveraged. Nature can contribute to all the components of human well-being, including basic material for good life. An example, adequate livelihoods and income, enough food and water, shelter and energy. There were four dimensions of the study that the surveys were analyzed for. One, housing materials. Two, drinking water. Three, fuel for cooking slash energy. And four, main occupation, like a job. Technological improvements were considered to determine dependence on natural resources. Here are the results of the study. Get this, 1.2 billion people in the tropics or 30% of people living in tropical countries are highly dependent on nature to meet their basic human needs. 
This can be illustrated in figure one, which is beautiful. A beautiful map of the world with a lot of green blotches on it, indicating these regions uh, from the study. This number actually increases tall to 2.7 billion people, or 69% of the population, when we consider the people that are dependent on nature for at least one of their basic needs. Overall, Sub-Saharan Africa is the region most dependent on nature for the fulfillment of basic human needs, which I thought was very interesting. It goes back to what you said, Tall, about the Congo. Tropical dependence on nature, when you look at it across the study, here's how it ranked. Energy sources was number one at 31% or 1.19 mm. billion people. Occupation was number two at 29% or 1.11 billion people. Housing materials was third at 29% or 1.10 billion people. And water surprisingly was last at 16% or only 633 million people. I think when you consider how these populations rely on their environment just to survive and the delicate balance that exists within the context of sustainability in these tropical regions, it's no wonder that nature-based strategies must be carefully designed to promote inclusive human development because we can develop in these regions. We can build and erect societies, but at the end of the day, none of it matters if we can't sustain. And that's what sustainability is all about, right? Like, if we well, are so highly dependent on nature, then we need to act like it. I would I would really challenge that, you know, the, the notion is that, you know, it's the it's they don't need to be these people who are going through these things are first and foremost they are relying on the natural the world still on to fulfill those basic maslow needs that we were talking about right and the solution forward not only does it need to be sustainable it needs to be driven by them we should we can't have just more outside people come in and um tell them what to do or like no you need to develop this way it's the same thing of just different versions of colonialism exactly right? and uh we're still perpetuating that same cultural genocide um but it's, that doesn't mean you still can't come in with these different technologies and these different um methods or these different systems or these different incentives like you know not buying you know chocolate that's you know <laughs> slave driven right and stuff like that right and trying right. to figure out how to do stuff like that there's ways to do it where you can can come in and uplift these and provide these abilities and this access to these systematic things that we have now on a globalized scale that isn't with that's not perpetuating cultural genocide right um and i think it's just important to remember those things like that and but it just shows you to how dependent a lot of this population is still on those the natural world for basic fundamental needs um just for literally like you said for energy you know um um i know that's really big for cooking slash and burn flash slashing and burning fuel but then at the same time there's a lot of oil production in this in these regions of the world too and that has its own environmental issues yeah. right um there's occupation like you said and there's a lot that we like to think that it's just all um, ecotourism and like sustainable agricultural development but the reality of most occupation when it comes to in its relationship with the natural world is not sustainable mm -hmm. and is oftentimes very dangerous and hazardous and yeah. Different ways, right? Um, same thing for building materials for their own basic house. It means that means they're still relying on literally going in there and chopping your own and making your own cabin, you know, or whatever it might be. These are people that are still struggling with the basic access when we are still, other parts of the world are dealing with true post, you know, especially the elites of the world are dealing with essentially a post scarcity society, right? Yeah. 
so it's, that's that's the difference of and but the thing is the people who are experiencing that one percent wealth have the same entitlements and the same equity should, uh, that that person who's still literally building their house from um the timber that they can collect in the forest right yeah. um it's just because our system is just so stratified now that they don't have the same access to that same ability so but it doesn't change their, their worth or anything like that so that's the hard part i think it's hard to quantify it's like how do you make sure that the person who is still literally relying on um you know um regional water patterns to make sure they have clean water um has the same <laughs> access to the same things that someone who is in that ultra wealthy category right um and it's i want i hope that we can continue to uplift and raise our society so we can raise these people up that if they however they choose to be raised up in their own systematic way and hopefully build something freaking better um so we don't have the ultra <laughs> this ultra issue right right and this trafficking issue um so i i think that's that that's a really important framework but you're talking about literally i think you if all the math adds up you talked about just under four billion people so just under half the global population that is reliant on literally the natural resources of their direct environment to still fulfill their basic needs. You know, that's just, I think that that's such a, that's, that's a really powerful way of showing that growth social equity. And it's a, it's a very real issue. Mm -hmm. So literally a third of the global population, a third relies on nature for at least one basic human need. And that is only in the tropics. This study did not include any, any other region like temperate desert tundra you name it like these other areas weren't even considered we're only looking at the tropics and still the population that is reliant on nature for at least one basic need that's a third of the entire human race today so definitely it, it, that just illustrates that nature is us and we are nature equally and we rely on nature and we need to carefully plot out the future and how we consume resources and how we continue to sustain um, when you're looking at the tropical depends on nature, when, and you, you talk about energy, most of that energy is in the form of biomass in the tropics, right? Like that's how a lot of these developing quote unquote nations survive and, and cook their meals and everything. And occupation, this is where the exploitation comes in. A lot of these people living in these quote unquote third world countries that are rich and teeming with these raw materials that are highly coveted, their populations are being exploited for the extraction of these resources, the, the dangerous extraction of these resources and delivering them to wealthier nations. And it's just a very sad dichotomy that we live in this system that promotes this and reinforces this. It, it, it harkens back to the step back episode when we talked about how the system rewards the CEO that doesn't take a pay cut, but instead continues to make more and more money and increases the price of the goods and you know, maybe increasing the wages of workers a little bit, but still increasing the rent by more that they have to pay and all these different things, like all these different levers in society continue to favor the wealthy and build their wealth while subjugating the middle and lower classes. Same things happening globally. You know, we're seeing this system continue to get more imbalanced as GDP continues to grow, right? So it's, it, it, there's definitely a disease and that's the cause of the disease and the symptoms are what we saw in terms of the gaps that people everyday people are experiencing between the needs that they have versus the needs that are being fulfilled the basic human needs the biggest thing i have to to add to that is just um 
it really is that question of like how do we make sure we're promoting the access of that basic fundamental needs because like the numbers just the, those are the, those are crappy numbers yeah. <laughs> um it sucks it sucks to hear those things it's disencouraging but it doesn't seem change away the the that those relationships and the wealth that we are still generating when we see these people um really uh, moving towards and i think that it really it really makes this again what is that fundamental question is how are we promoting that access and uh, to actually um figuring out what is base what is that basic entitlement because um it really is so varied depending on those causes and conditions right and how do we make sure that the those ultra and those people who are still relying on those natural systems have that same equity right you know what is that right. what does that look like um and um i think that's that's just it's just figuring out how do we how do we quantify that right and you know to be honest tall i don't have an answer <laughs> a, a clear answer for today's podcast I, I think we've had a lot of you know thought-provoking discussion on it i do want to bring one more point to the table uh, as we wrap up this episode here and it's actually on evaluating whether or not internet is actually a basic need that humans should have as well this is a source from brookings.edu titled internet poverty the next frontier in development one anecdote that i thought was very interesting is it mentioned the ukrainian refugees and it actually mentioned a quote that said volunteers provided for their basic needs food shelter clothing and other basic necessities these are ones that we've also talked about extensively throughout this episode besides maybe clothing often the most immediate support service was a sim card a phone charger and access to the internet in order to stay connected so here we are in a post-pandemic world the basic human need to be connected through the internet is abundantly clear here. In 1990, Tall, the World Bank's World Development Report established a $1 a day per person definition of extreme poverty. This was determined at the time to be the spending threshold required to satisfy basic human needs. Example, food, shelter, and clothing. The dollar amount has since been adjusted to $1.90 a day per person as recently as 2011. I'm sure that figure is much higher considering global inflation nowadays. However, and, and again, that's another metric that somebody just came up with an arbitrary number, right? Like who's to say that a dollar ninety, you know, a dollar ninety cents a day is actually adequate to fulfill your basic needs. It depends on where you live and, and everything like that. However, more complex ways of evaluating poverty globally have been taken into consideration in recent years including the minimum internet needs concept. A new internet poverty index can now adjust the actual cost of internet services in every country to create a standardized estimate of people living in internet poverty globally. Internet poor are individuals who are unable to afford a minimum quantity of one gigabyte and quality 10 megabytes per second download speed of internet services without spending more than 10% of their disposable income on these services here's a striking quote there are nearly 1.4 billion persons 18 percent of the world population who live in internet poverty compared to 675 million people living in extreme poverty so what that tells me is that more people lack basic internet access than people who are considered to be below the poverty line and, and not having those basic basic needs fulfilled obviously all this is very you know, quantitative, subjective, standardized by the powers that be. But I just think it's very, a very interesting concept, Tall, that 
like should we consider internet access a fundamental human need a fundamental human right yeah are, are people entitled to internet access and why i think they are um i think that it's also um a a, a really interesting way to ha have that be a metric um to do um to measure um that kind of access way um um as we're trying to figure out what people are entitled to the reason why i would say that yeah is because we've now engaged in a new global system where internet access is required to engage in it um like so basically i think that that one good way to measure what it is that equitable standard of like what people are entitled to um is what is the basic access to f to get in the system without um any serious boundary right um and to be able to engage with it and basic internet access nowadays is a really good final point <laughs> to bring up here mm -hmm. is like that is such a fundamental way of how like the world just engaged nowadays and if you don't have that basic access to it an ability to interact with it you can't interact with a lot of the world like i don't know like most of these places you can't go into jobs anymore and ask for an application you have to apply online internet services are for the most part done on a lot of these countries through the internet uh, our, our, our cellular services are done yep. through the internet i should say you know the only information sources in a lot of countries are for better or for a lot of the times worse like facebook right it's not through printed sources anymore so uh basic internet access is one of those things that is i i would say is a very much not only in it, um something that people are entitled to but is a very good um individual metric to be able like how is the access going right. and there's still a lot of people who are struggling with very very basic access into that very basic fundamental way of how a majority of the world interacts with each other absolutely and you know what through the internet there's convenience efficiency and opportunity right so yes. i i well i don't think you can consider it a physiological need or a safety need it, it it's a need to engage in our world it, it, it's it's one of those relational needs it, it's something that that kind of builds on top of the the basic levels the basal levels on that pyramid the, the maslow's hierarchy of needs um, but it does bring a good question that since the internet is so valuable to the human experience nowadays and in, in obtaining knowledge and information and having understanding of where you are on planet Earth, albeit, you know, we've we've acknowledged that there are dangers on the internet as well. There's misinformation. There's a lot of bad things on the internet that you want to stay away from, but there's a lot of good things on the internet. There's a lot of opportunity. Mm -hmm. There's a lot, there's a wealth of knowledge available to you. And it just, I think it also raises the question that are basic human needs the ones at the bottom of the pyramid or are basic human needs the full pyramid, the full spectrum here? Are we starting to question, okay, hey, maybe everybody should have basic internet access because everybody has the right to self-actualization. Everybody has the fundamental right to obtain those basic needs, you know, the physiological and safety ones, but they also are entitled to the other ones needs in the pyramid love and belonging esteem and self-actualization a more holistic view instead of an individualistic view of the needs exactly like it, it's encapsulating all these things um and i i bring to you steeps a thought experiment i have is my closing remark is my closing argument in this episode is maybe we do need to consider the full spectrum of needs here can we hypothesize for a second a world where everybody even if it's just a tiny home Everybody has access to a 3D printed shelter that they can go to that has clean air, clean water supplied by your local government. You know, obviously you can sleep there. You have shelter from hazardous environmental conditions. 
maybe everybody can have some basic level of opportunity to a job, whether that's done through the computer or done physically in person. And everybody's able to live in these communities where they're recognized, loved, and respected for who they are as human beings. And they're able to become the best version of themselves. And they can really build that community, not only physically, but also through the internet, which can connect them to occupations. It can connect them to resources and knowledge. It can close the gap that is distance, physical distance between one another. And also let everybody know how you're doing, right? Like, can we hypothesize a world where one day we can leverage the technology that we currently possess, the knowledge that we have of our condition, of how we're doing, and build a better world for tomorrow? I don't have all the answers and how to measure these different things and how to solve the problem. I'm just thinking from a thought experiment point of view, like, like, do we need to just think differently when it comes to universal entitlements, basic human needs? In a country like the United States that's capitalistic, do we like involve maybe some more quote-unquote socialist policies where maybe people are entitled to some basic needs, albeit very basic resources, and then anything you get beyond that is an upgrade and you pay for it. But at the end of the day, you know that you're going to go home to these basic human needs these universal entitlements and you can't fall below that threshold like everybody is on the same playing field at the end of the day and everybody has a chance to go get themselves opportunities that will benefit them without being at a disadvantage you know it's almost like that's the original american dream it is and, and again I'm, I'm also not an advocate for everybody being on the same level you know that's a whole different argument here that's true equality I do think that people can, you know, equity versus an equality argument. That's another conversation. Yes, that's a whole nother conversation. I do believe in equity, which is, you know, everybody has this solid foundation where they could build upon. But, you know, you don't have to drag people down to get everybody else the same playing field. You can you can take a little bit from the top and, and make such a big difference for the people at the bottom. But you don't have to have everyone live on the same level because I just think inherently like I, I feel like to some degree, like there are going to be inherent differences between cultures and individuals. But if we could find a way at all to just fulfill our basic human needs better, I honestly think that our GDP is going to go through the roof because we're going to be more productive than ever and mm. hopefully more sustainable than ever, considering the three pillars of sustainability, environment, economy, equity. I would I would I would I would uh, echo that in summation with that if you want to look at it from a capitalistic economic perspective like sustainable development's the only one that provides uh, is basically saying that we hey we can we're trying to provide an economic development that's going to last for beyond human lifetime and from an economic perspective I, that's, a, that's a good sounding a good long-term bet you know i, I like to put my money in that mm -hmm. where it's something that's going to be uh continually developed and finding in those holistic relationships so um, there's, a, there's a lot to be argued about that. And like you said, I really like you, we touched on it at the end there with the, um, equity versus, um, equality. And that's another conversation we should have in our time. But I do think that there is this point that like we've engaged and involved our systems to a point where we need to really have a new fundamental question of what are we entitled to? And what does that look like with our basic access and our needs? Um, because mm -hmm. we've gotten to a point where we've, um, made this human system to a point where 
it's no longer the natural system system that we uh, we had originally evolved into and now we're actually trying to have these questions of self-actualization and these needs of love and romance and um who we are as identity and stuff like that and as a people as a society as like what can we do to actually develop and i think that if we can actually have maybe an answer of like how do we get people the access to these these entitlements of, of as being a human of what, what you deserve as a human if we can actually develop a society around that at least get to a point where we can keep asking these thought-provoking questions and keep evolving these conversations to hopefully get us to be a little bit better and to treat each other with a little bit more compassion remember that we do deserve better and that we can actually make actual um action actionable decisions um and move forward off that premise and act in a way that we actually do create larger change right i couldn't have said it better myself no thank you very much thank you Thank you, Tall, for joining me again on this journey as we continue our path down the road that is the step back. I'm happy to descend into a cup with you. <laughs> That's awesome. That is really awesome. Well, Steeps, you can check out the Step Back playlist on Spotify whoop, whoop. to get the full scope of episodes that Tall and I have done together on this topic, this broader topic. And... Yeah, this has been a lot of fun, Tal. Thank you for joining me. Your words of wisdom are always much appreciated, and I look forward to continuing these collabs with you. As always, thank you for having me here. Traveler Steve, you are loved, you are enough, and you are not alone. And Jared, you are a beautiful human being, and thank you for having me here. Thank you. And thank you to all the Steeps out there for listening. Thanks for listening to Universal Entitlements. Check out the description of this episode for the resources we referenced on this topic. If this podcast is your cup of tea, then please leave a review and subscribe for the latest freshly brewed content. As always, let your thirst for curiosity leave you feeling enlightened.